0: so, carrying on then with the Aqidah of an Imam Tahawi, we're now on the statement, Qawluhu Walmiraju haqq Waqad Usriya bin Nabihi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Wa Urija bi Shahsihi fil Yakava Ilasama <anycando> ثُمَّ إِلَى حَيْثُ شَاءَ اللَّهُ مِنَ الْعُلَا وَأَكْرَمَهُ اللَّهُ بِمَا شَاءَ وَأَوْحَى إِلَيْهِ مَا أَوْحَى مَا كَذَبَ الْفُؤَادُ مَا رَأَى فَصَلَّى اللَّهُ وَسَلَّمَ عَلَيْهِ فِي الْآخِرَةِ والأولى. This now. This now. Is talking about the issue of Al-Isra' wal-Miraj. The night when the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was taken up to the heavens. Al-Miraj, Al-Miraj, it refers to something in elevation. Something in elevation, in going up, in ascending. So al-Isra' wal-Mi'raj, it refers to that night when the Prophet sallallahu alayhi ascended up to the heavens. Here al-Imam al-Tahawi says, عُرِجَ بِشَخْصِهِ فِي اليقظة that the Prophet sallallahu was taken up physically, his body, he was taken up properly, physically his body, whilst he was awake. Al-Imam Al-Tahawi says, he was taken up physically, whilst he was awake. He says that on purpose because some people of innovation claim or some people who do not understand this issue properly claim that the Prophet ﷺ was not taken up physically, it was just a spiritual thing. They say his body never went up actually, it was just a spiritual thing. And others they say it was not when he was awake. It was in a dream that he went up. So Al-Imam Al-Tahawi says no. He physically went <coughs> up when he was awake. It wasn't something spiritual only. Wasn't something in a dream or a vision only. It was real. The Prophet Sallallahu Wasallam in actuality was taken up. So some people, they say, كان الإسراء بروحه ولم يفقد Jasadu Some people, they claim that he was taken up with his soul only, spirit only. His body stayed where it was, the body didn't go anywhere. It was just his soul, his spirit that was taken up like that. That is what some people say. لكن ينبغي أن يعرف الفرق بين أن يقال كان الإسراء مناما وبين أن يقال كان بروحه دون جسده وبينهما فرق عظيم Also we need to understand that the difference between saying that the Prophet ﷺ was taken up spiritually, his soul, and the issue of (coughs) being asleep or in a dream. There are two different points they have made. There is a narration in fact, that Aisha and Muawiyah actually said that it was only his soul and not the body. It is claimed, it is claimed that there is a narration about that. فَعَائِشَ وَمُعَاوِيَةٌ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُمَا لَمْ يَقُولَا كَانَ مَنَامًا إِنَّمَا قَالَا أُسْرِيَ بِرُوحِهِ وَلَمْ يُفْقَدْ جَسَدُهُ So it is claimed that in this narration Aisha and Mu'awiyah said that the Prophet was taken up whilst he was conscious and alert but only his soul not his body They didn't say it was a dream that it was a vision they say physically his soul was taken up but not his body That is a narration which is mentioned However There is another opinion some scholars have mentioned and they say that actually this event happened twice. Some scholars they say or it is mentioned they say that this event of going up to the heavens actually happened twice. Once in his sleep as a dream he was taken up to the heavens and everything and the other time actually alert and conscious and awake not in a dream so they say there were two occasions some of them and maybe the reason why they say this is because there are some narrations that may indicate that it was in sleep when this happened And others clearly highlight it was not sleep, it was conscious and awake and alert. So maybe they wanted to try and combine between all of those narrations and they came up with this opinion that maybe this happened twice. Maybe once the Prophet ﷺ was taken up in a dream, in a vision, he was taken up and shown everything. And on another occasion that physically conscious and alert and awake he was taken up and shown everything. So that is something some of the scholars they mention. Uh, And some of them even say, the ones who talk about this happening twice possibly, some of them say that it actually occurred once before the revelation began. And then it occurred again after the revelation had begun so you have some differences like that however what is correct is what al-imam al-tahawi has mentioned here that the prophet sallallahu wasallam was taken up with his body physically body and soul physically conscious and alert not in a dream It is mentioned also then, Usriya bijasadihi fil yaqazah ala s-sahih min al-masjid al-haram ila al-masjid al-aqsa. That the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was taken from al-masjid al-haram up. To Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa. However, we know that when the Prophet wasallam was taken, he was taken from where? From his home, from his bed. But the ayat and the evidences, they all talk about him being taken from Al-Masjid Al-Haram. So what does that mean then? How was he in his home and the narrations are saying Al Masjid al-Haram? Could it be that he was taken from his own shoes to al-Haram and then the ayah is talking about the journey from Masjid al Haram too? But then why exclude the beginning point of the journey? Well it houses within the masjid. That's getting closer. The scholars, they say, this could be an evidence to show that the reward of praying in Al-Masjid Al-Haram, which is how much reward? One hundred thousand. That this reward applies anywhere in the Haram area of Mecca, Because the Haram area... The haram area is much bigger than this, just the mosque. The haram area expands out beyond the mosque, not even the courtyard, past that. Out into Mecca, the haram area. So some scholars, they say, this could be a proof that the hundred thousand counts anywhere in the haram area. Because he was in his house, the Prophet and yet his house was being referred to as Al Masjid al Haram, so it was part of the Haram area. Therefore, all of that area may be referred to as the Haram. And therefore, the 100,000 may apply in all of that. And this is one of the evidences the scholars use. They say, look, it's saying Al Masjid al Haram, but he wasn't in the actual mosque, he was in his house. Therefore showing even that was considered like al-Masjid al-Haram, outside of it, in the Haram area. So they say all of that is a hundred thousand. you have a question? Uh-huh. So that is the opinion of some of the scholars though. Other scholars they say the one hundred thousand will only count in the actual Masjid itself in the actual masjid itself. Then there is another small difference of opinion. You've seen the masjid in Medina, in Mecca. There is the mosque and then there is another outside courtyard area. In Medina for example, you have the big courtyard area with the walls and the gates outside. Then you go out of that and you get to the hotels and everything else and the markets. In uh, Mecca, same thing, you come out of the actual masjid, then there's the white marble courtyard everywhere. Then you go out of that, and then you get to the markets and the shops and everything and the hotels. That courtyard area, the courtyard area, the white marble area outside of the mosque, around the mosque in Medina, in Mecca, does that count for the extra reward if you pray in that? Will you get 100,000 if you pray in the courtyard of the masjid will you get one thousand if you pray in the courtyard of al-masjid or not well that's what it is but what's the answer well that's no doubt so we're only talking about the scholars who say it's the mosque itself the ones who say it's all of the Haram area, then even beyond that, they say it counts. But the ones who say it's only the mosque, is the courtyard part of the mosque or not? It's part of it. Courtyard is part of the mosque. So you've seen Al Masjid al Nabawi. You have Al Masjid al Nabawi. Uh, uh, this is Al Masjid al Nabawi. And then outside of it, all around, there's the courtyard. And then there's gates here, all around that. And then you walk out of that, and that's when you get to the hotels and the shops and everything. This whole courtyard area is that considered part of the mosque and you get the thousand rewards too or is it just inside the actual physical walls of the mosque it's a difference some scholars they say it's got to be inside the actual physical walls building of the mosque itself the courtyard is the outside courtyard outside of the mosque so it is the actual physical building and the walls in there you get your hundred thousand in mecca and one thousand in medina Some scholars though say that the courtyard, it is counted as part of the mosque. And the proof they give, or one of the proofs they give, they say, in that courtyard area, are there any shops? Is it allowed for any of those traders on the floors when they have all their stuff out there? Can they put it out in the courtyard and start selling there? It is prohibited to buy and sell and do those types of things in the courtyard. Those kinds of prohibitions are prohibitions of the Masque. mosque. They are being applied to the courtyard area, indicating that the courtyard area is taking the same ruling as the physical building of the mosque. And therefore some scholars say that is one evidence, amongst some others, to say that the courtyard area is considered as the mosque. So al-Masjid al-Nabawi is the whole Courtyard area, everything is Al-Masjid Al-Nabawi. According to that opinion. So, it mentions here that the Prophet ﷺ was taken with his body, conscious, alert, awake, with his body from Al-Masjid Al-Haram to Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa. And he was in the company of Jibreel alayhi salam He was in the company of Jibreel alayhi salam And so he got out at al-Masjid al-Aqsa And what did he do there? Well, what's the general statement of what he did there? What happened there at Masjid al-Aqsa when he went there? What happened? So he led all of the prophets in prayer. Salla bil anbiya'i imaman. He prayed with all of the prophets as the imam. He led the prayer with all of the prophets behind him. So. Then after that, Urijah after that he was then taken up from there he was then taken up after that up to the first heaven up to the first heaven and then Jibreel a.s. sought permission for that first heaven to be opened so they could enter and so it was opened فَاسْتَفْتَحَ لَهُ Jibreel Jibreel salam uh, Sought that to be opened, Fafuti حَلَاهُمَا. So it was opened for them for Jibril and Muhammad Sallam. آدم, So in that first heaven, we know there are heavens that go up in levels. In that first heaven, Adam عليه السلام was seen. The Prophet. Sallallahu alayhi wasallam saw Adam alayhi salam in that first heaven. Fasallama alayhi, so he gave him salam. Farahiba bihi alayhi so he welcomed him and returned the salam. Wa aqarra binubuwatihi, and he acknowledged the prophethood of the Prophet sallallahu so that meeting occurred between the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and Adam Alayhi Salam on the first level in the first heaven. Then after that Jibreel Alay and the Prophet were taken up, they went up to the second heaven and Jibreelam sought for that to be opened, and so it was opened for them and they entered فَرَأَى Fiha and in the second heaven. In the second heaven, the Prophet sallallahu saw Yahya, the son of zakaria and Isa, the son of Maryam. So he met them, and gave salam to them, and they replied the salam, and they welcomed him, and they acknowledged his prophethood. Isa alayhi salam and Zakariya alayhi salam, they... Uh, acknowledged the prophethood of Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Then after that, they went up further to the third heaven, and the same again. The door was opened and they entered. And when they entered into the third heaven, the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam saw Yusuf, alaihi salam. So he gave him salam and uh, he welcomed him. Yusuf Ali Salam Gave salam to the Prophet And welcomed him And acknowledged his prophethood Then after that They went up to the fourth heaven And in the fourth heaven They saw Idris Idris And Idris Ali Salam Gave salam to the Prophet And welcomed him And acknowledged his prophethood Then after that They went up to the fifth heaven And in the fifth heaven, (coughs) they saw in it Harun and Harun, the son of Imran. Harun, the son of Imran. And so Harun gave salam to the Prophet and welcomed him and acknowledged his prophethood. Then on to the sixth heaven They saw Who in the sixth heaven? Musa alayhi salam Musa So Musa alayhi salam Gave salam to the Prophet Sallallahu alayhi wasallam Welcomed him And acknowledged his prophethood Musa It's mentioned uh, Ibn Abu'l-Izz, he quotes here, or he mentions in this narration, that it says after they met Musa in the sixth heaven, and then they were carrying on now to go to the seventh heaven, that Musa alayhi salam began to weep. He began to weep. فَقِيلَ له ما يبكيك So it was said to Musa alayhi salam, what has caused you to weep? What has caused you to cry? قَالْ أَبْكِي He said, I am weeping. لِأَنَّ غُلَامًا بُعِثَ بَعْدِي يَدْخُلُ جَنَّةَ مِنْ أُمَّتِهِ أَكْثَرُ مِمَّا يَدْخُلُهَا مِنْ أُمَّتِهِ He said, this young man was sent after me. Referring to the Prophet Muhammad ﷺ. He was sent after me and a greater number of his ummah will enter paradise than mine. The ummah of Musa alayhi how many followers he had was huge. But it was not as big as this ummah of Muhammad sallallahu salam. There's a narration where the Prophet sallallahu alayhi says that he saw a huge amount of people shown to him. And he thought this huge amount of people was his Ummah. But it was said to him, this is the Ummah of Musa alayhi salam. Then an even bigger amount was shown to him, and this is your Ummah. So Musa alayhi salam, he was weeping, he said, this man came after me, and more of his Ummah, a greater number of the Ummah, will enter paradise than mine. Then the Prophet sallallahu continued, and he was taken up to the seventh heaven. And in the seventh heaven he met Ibrahim alayhi salam in the seventh heaven. Ibrahim alayhi salam. Fasalama alayhi wa rahababihi wa akarra wati. So Ibrahim alayhi salam gave salam to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa and welcomed him and acknowledged his prophethood. ثُمَّ رُفِعَ إِلَى صِدْرَةِ الْمُنْتَهَىٰ ثُمَّ رُفِعَ لَهُ الْبَيْتُ الْمَعْمُورِ ثُمَّ عُرِجَ بِهِ إِلَى الْجَبَّارِ Then after that he continues to be raised up until he goes to even الْبَيْتُ الْمَعْمُورِ What is الْبَيْتُ الْمَعْمُورِ? So it is basically in simple terms the equivalent of the kaaba in the heavens in the heavens there is in simple terms an equivalent of the kaaba it is known as al baytul maamur and that is where the angels go and they do worship they go in and they pray and they do tawaf etc they do their worship 70000 every day When that 70,000 has been in and they exit, another 70,000 new ones come in. When they finish and exit, another 70,000 new ones come in. Once an angel has got the turn, it will never get a chance to come back around and get another turn. So many groups of 70,000 waiting, they will never get a chance to come back around again. So this is an evidence the scholars used to say, look at how many angels there are, 70,000 every day, new ones, 70,000 new ones every day in a week. How many? 490,000? 70,000 every day times seven? 490,000, so that's what, half a million? Half a million in a week A million in two weeks You can carry on and do your figures New bunch of 70,000 every day New ones Not repeats And how many That's just in two weeks We have a million You start counting 1400 years From the time of the Prophet And it's not even from there It begins It begins from whenever it begins And it carries on Up until it carries on So those numbers are bigger Than your phones and calculators can hold They bigger than your calculators and phones can hold you have to have the E number at the end that's the numbers of the angels so here it's mentioned that he goes past that as well and then he is finally raised up to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and then what happened when he's finally now raised up to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Allah speaks to him and obligates upon him the five daily prayers. However, initially it was obligated upon him as 50. Five zero. The first obligation was 50 prayers. That is what was obligated upon the Prophet So he accepted that 50 prayers every day for this ummah. That was going to be the ruling. He accepted and started coming down when he came down past the 7th heaven into the 6th heaven in the 6th heaven was musa salam so musa salam asked him as the prophet was now descending and coming through the 6th heaven musa salam asked him bima umirta what have you been commanded with what did allah command you with what did allah command you with what have you been commanded with so the Prophet ﷺ said to him بِخَمْسِنَ صَلَىٰ 50 prayers Allah has commanded me For my Ummah that we pray 50 five zero, 50 prayers every day فَقَال So Musa said to him إِنَّ أُمَّتَكَ لَا تَطِيقُ ذَلِكَ Your Ummah will not be able to handle that Your Ummah will not be able to burden that they won't be able to do fifty prayers every day. And in the other narrations it mentions where he said, Inni uh, min that I have already experienced the people before you. I have already experienced the people before you, his own Ummah. And he knows the levels of the people. And he says your Ummah will not be able to do fifty prayers every day. So Musa alayhi salam says to him, go back to your Lord and ask Him to make it less for your Ummah. Ask Him to make it less for your Ummah. (laughs) So now who was with the Prophet as well obviously? (laughs) Jibreel was with him. Jibreel was now taking him down. So now they stopped in the sixth heaven. Musa alayhi salam is saying to him, go back. Go back and ask for less. So the Prophet ﷺ looked towards Jib- Jibreel Salaam, as if to consult Jibreel alayhi Salaam, that can we go back as if to consult him that can we go back? So Jibreel alayhi Salaam indicated to him, na'am in shi'ta. yes, if you w- if you wish. Yes, if you wish. So Fi'ilan Bihi Jibril Hatta Atta Bihil Jabbar. So then Jibreel took him back until they came back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then after Prophet Muhammad asked for it to be reduced, reduced it by ten. Fawada Anu Ashra ثُمَّ نَزَلَ حَتَّى مر بموسى فَأَخْبَرَهُ فَقَالَ إِرْجْعِ إلى رَبِّكَ فاسأله التَّخْفِيفُ فَلَمْ يَزَلْ يَتَرَدَّدْ بَيْنَ مُوسَى وَبَيْنَ اللَّهِ تَبَارَكَ وتعالى حَتَّى جَعْلَهَ خَمْسَا So when the Prophet ﷺ went back to Allah to ask for less, after Musa ﷺ told him 50 prayers every day will be too much for your ummah. So the Prophet ﷺ went back and asked and it became 10 less, it became 40 so then he took that 40 prayers, got the reduction now. So now he was coming back with Jibreel alayhi salam, passing through the 7th, through the 6th. When they got to the 6th, Musa alayhi salam asked him again, so what happened now? What's the commandment now for you? So now the Prophet sallallahu told him, 40. Musa alayhi said, I experienced my ummah before. And your ummah will not be able to do 40 prayers a day. Go back and ask for less. So then again the Prophet ﷺ goes back and asks for less and it becomes 30. So now they're coming back when they get to the sixth heaven. Again Musa ﷺ says, what, what's the command now? What happened? So then the Prophet ﷺ tells him, 30 now. Musa ﷺ says, I experienced my people. Your ummah will not be able to do 30 Go back and ask for less. So then the Prophet ﷺ goes back, becomes 20. And then it happens again, becomes 10. Happens again, even at 10, Musa ﷺ says, your ummah will not be able to do 10 prayers a day. Go and ask for less. So again, the Prophet ﷺ goes back and it becomes 5. Even at 5, when the Prophet ﷺ was coming back down, Musa ﷺ said, even 5 five in the day go and ask for less but the prophet said said i've been back asking for less so many times that now i am shy to go back and ask again i'm gonna stick with the five i'm gonna be pleased with the five leave it at the five and so he didn't go back again and it was established as five prayers in the day even though you get the reward of the full original 50, because every good deed you do is multiplied by 10, so one prayer you get the reward of 10 prayers, 5 prayers in the day you get the reward of 50 prayers, so you only pray 5 but you get the reward of the original 50, so that is what occurred on that night. Uh, and it mentions at the end when Musa said, Go back and ask for less, even less than five, that the Prophet said, Qad min rabbi, That I am now shy in front of my Lord. But now I'm going to be pleased with this and submit to this and leave it at the five. So then it was left at the five. That is the event which occurred. The Prophet ﷺ, when he returned after that event, when he returned and he told the people what happened, he told them that he was taken up to the heavens to all of the heavens through the first, the second, the third to the seventh and above and he spoke with Allah and he came back and that he did all of this in one night that he went from Mecca to Jerusalem and then up to the heavens and then back all of it in one night of course in those days and the modes of transport it was impossible typically to go from Mecca to Jerusalem and come back in one night, so when the Prophet ﷺ told the people this, the mushrikun began to mock him. They began to laugh at this. And later on, when they saw Abu Bakr, when they saw Abu Bakr after all of this news had spread now about the Isra al Mi'raj, they said to Abu Bakr, have you heard what your friend is saying? They were mocking him. Making a joke out of him. They they saw Abu Bakr, bumped into him and they said, have you heard what your friend is saying? (coughs) He thinks he went all the way to Jerusalem and to the heavens and came back in one night. And they were laughing at him. (laughs) Laughing at him, making a joke. Have you heard what your friend is saying, Muhammad? He thinks he was taken from here to Jerusalem and to the heavens and back and everything. All in one night. He thinks he did all of that last night. And they were mocking Abu Bakr. So what did Abu Bakr say to them? What did Abu Bakr reply with? When they came and they were mocking him like this, have you heard what your friend is saying? What did he say back to them? Even more than that. He believes even more than that. that. Which is? (coughs) Abu Bakr as-Siddiq, he said to them, basically that's nothing that's nothing I believe him in things that he tells us which are even greater than that that's nothing he says he went to Jerusalem and to the heavens and came back in one night absolutely that's nothing I believe him in even greater things than that I believe him when he tells us that revelation comes down to him from the skies Revelation comes down to him from the heavens, from the Creator. I believe in him in that. So him saying he was taken up for one night and brought back is nothing. I believe the revelation comes down to him from Allah as he tells us. So Abu Bakr replied with this to them, saying that's nothing. Of course he did that if he says he did that. That's nothing. Even greater than that I believe him when he tells us the revelation is coming down to him. And because of that, it is said... That Abu Bakr became known as Abu Bakr As-Siddiq. He is the one, the Siddiq, the one who believed the Prophet Sallallahu upon that truth. He believed him and accepted in all of that and was truthful in all of that. He became Abu Bakr As-Siddiq. So that is what occurred with that event. There is one issue that we briefly touched upon before in the previous chapter about seeing Allah. And Ibn Abil Izz Al-Hanafi mentions it here again briefly. What was that issue? <coughs> so did the Prophet actually see Allah on that night? We know that Allah spoke to the Prophet wasallam on that night and commanded him with the prayers and everything, does that mean the Prophet ﷺ was actually given the chance to see Allah on that night? We already did the chapter before about our atida, that in the hereafter, in the afterlife, we can see Allah. That night, did the Prophet ﷺ see Allah or not? So remember there was the narrations that some of the people may try to use it, uh, incorrectly, there is a narration from Ibn Abbas, رضي الله عنهما where he said that the Prophet ﷺ saw Allah. But then there is a narration from Aisha that whoever claims the Prophet saw Allah is a liar. liar. So now what? Remember the explanation, seeing is two types. There is physical seeing, and there is comprehension and understanding of the heart. Like when somebody explains something to you and you say, "Uh Aha, I see. But maybe there's nothing for you to actually see, he's just talking to you. So what do you see? When you say, I see, it means I, I understand, I comprehend. Uh, I get it, I get it, I understand it, I comprehend it. It's a vision of the heart as opposed to the physical vision of the eyes. When Ibn Abbas said, the Prophet saw Allah, which of the two types of vision was he talking about? Vision of the heart, not vision of the eyes. When Aisha was saying, whoever says, that the Prophet saw Allah on that night is a liar. She meant whoever says that the Prophet saw Allah physically with the eyes. Ibn Abbas, did he say that? He didn't say So is there any contradiction between their statements? Nothing whatsoever. So that is the correct understanding that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi did not see Allah on that night. There is even a narration where he mentions, mean أَمِنَّ hu نُورٍ حِجَابُهُ <hijabuhu> نُورَ <noor> anna أَرَاهُ <araahu> That his covering was of light. How could I see him? His covering, his veil was of light. How could I see him? Where could I see him from? So that is the correct belief regarding that, that the Prophet did not see Allah on that night, but rather it was a vision of the heart, not a vision of the eyes. So that is the chapter regarding al-Isra'u wal-Mi'raj. The next chapter here, al-Imam al-Tahawi now goes on to talk about al-Hawd. Wal-Hawd alladhi akramahu allahu ta'ala bihi ghayafan li-ummatihi haq. So now he talks about this entity known as Al-Hawd. So what is Al-Hawd? What is Al-Hawd? So it is a pool of water. A pool of water. A pool we say, but really it's like a huge lake of water. In paradise you said. That was the definition you gave. Any comments on that definition? So where is it then? It's what? Uh-huh. So when everybody is resurrected on the day of resurrection, they are all going to be upon the lands of resurrection. They're all going to be raised upon the land of resurrection. Upon that land of resurrection, there comes a point where there is this hold. The land of resurrection isn't paradise yet. The land of resurrection where everybody is resurrected and then the judgments occur, the accountability, the weighing scale, everything happens on the land of resurrection. Then after that, at the end of it, they enter into paradise or hell. So this initial stage where everybody is resurrected, the land of resurrection, which may be on this earth, may be not. Difference of opinion between the scholars. Some scholars say the land of resurrection will be here. This earth will be changed, all the mountains will be squashed, the valleys will be straightened, it will be a flat land, like, uh, you know, dough. When you make dough, you need the dough. And then when you squash it out, the dough nice and smooth. That dough. When you're going to make some bread or a pizza or something, the dough. When it's rolled and then you make it into a bowl, smooth surface. It mentions in a hadith, that example. The land of resurrection will be like that smooth surface. No mountains, no valleys, nothing. Some scholars say that will be this earth. It will be changed to become a flat, smooth surface. No hills, no valleys, nothing. Others, they say, no, it'll be a different land somewhere. But nevertheless, on that land of resurrection then, all these things happen. The weighing scale, the bridge, the howl, all of those things happen there. Then in the end, they enter into paradise and hell. So on that land of resurrection will be this howl, this body of water, this water. How big is that body of water? In the first definition, we said pool. I said it's more like a lake. How big is it? Hmm. A month's journey. There are different narrations. One narration says, from one side to the other side of it, of this lake, it's a month journey to get to the other side of the lake in another narration some other hadith it says it's two weeks worth of journeying and in one other narration it says three days worth of journeying even if it was the last one three days imagine now with your donkey or something in those days three days you're traveling how far are you going three days worth of traveling even nowadays if you walk if you go trekking You can do 10 miles a day easily. 10 miles a day, 15 miles a day, professionals 20 miles a day, no problem. Trekking. So imagine now 20 miles a day for example, 3 days, 60 miles long. If you take that type of (coughs) general understanding. Of course that is not the exact figure, just an explanation. But the other narration says, 2 weeks worth of traveling. The other narration, a month worth of traveling. And there are, Explanations of the scholars how to bring those narrations together. But the purpose for us right now is to indicate that clearly this is not something small. It's not even a small lake. It is something huge. The Haud is something huge on that day. And there are narrations that say that the sides are of equal length. So it's like almost like a square type of shape. The sides are equal lengths all round. So it's a very, symmetri- uh, like a square type of shape almost. The length and the width of it are identical. So it's a huge uh, body of water, no doubt. And what happens at this body? Oh, well, before we get to what happens, what are the descriptions of the hold? What are the descriptions of the Hawd? Uh, multiple streams perhaps but the actual descriptions of the water and what's around it so the actual water it is mentioned it will be whiter than milk that is one description also sweeter than honey that is another description also it's more beautiful smelling than musk that's another description colder than ice another description you never, get thirsty after you never get thirsty after you drink from it no thirst thereafter that's another description that's five descriptions one more regarding what's around it so it's mentioned that there are cups around it how many cups? as many as the stars in the sky in one narration, more than the stars in the sky. So we're talking again, huge numbers of the cups around the hawd So then the people will go and they will drink from this hawd And as you said, the water of the hawd comes from where? Comes from Al-Kawthar. And Al-Kawthar is in paradise. It's mentioned that there are two streams or some streams that come from Al-Kawthar and they feed this body of water which is Al-Hawd. So the people will drink from that, the believers will drink from that, but there will be certain types of people who are rejected from the Hawd. Which people will be refused? (laughs) (coughs) Ahlul Bid'ah. The people who were upon innovation and deviancy after the Prophet sallallahu that's one, who else? Al-fussa, those who were excessive in their sinning, they will be refused. And the third and the obvious, al-murtaddoon, the apostates will be refused to drink from the pond. So that is the pond of the Prophet ﷺ on the Day of Judgment. There are lots of other topics you can talk about. Where is the pond exactly? Does it come before the weighing scale? Does it come after the weighing scale? Does it come before the bridge, after the bridge? There are different opinions amongst the scholars regarding those details because we don't have a clear cut hadith telling you details of where things are exactly. So scholars have made ijtihad about where the pond is. Some scholars even say the pond is so big, it begins before where the bridge is, the Sirat. It begins before it, and at the other end of the Sirat, it's carrying on still. How big this pond is. Others they say, no, it's before. Some say after. So you have differences regarding that. That is regarding the pond of the Prophet on that day. The next chapter, he's going to talk about more issues to do with the Day of Judgment. The next chapter is regarding Ash-Shafa'ah. The intercession of the Prophet on that day. And this is an important topic too now. Ash-Shafa'ah. The intercession of the Prophet Can we get the intercession of the Prophet Can we ask him for intercession it's an important topic because again many people have misunderstood this topic and they fall into shirk because of their misunderstanding of this topic. It is allowed and the Prophet ﷺ is going to do the shafa'ah. But how? What's allowed? What are the details? That insha'Allah, ta'ala is where we'll begin from the next session then. Next week, talking about the shafa'ah. How is it allowed? It is allowed, but how? And what types? And when will the Prophet do shafa'ah for us? Can we go to his grave now then and ask for the shafaa? Those types of details, inshaAllah ta'ala, will begin with that next week's session at 7 p.m. Any questions on that? <coughs> you know, when in Makkah, when in the Zamzam Towers, and when the time for salah is called, they pray within the hotels oh. would you get the reward or because they are praying with the imam or would, it be, would that be not, that you have to go within the courtyard you know in mecca then for example you have the haram you have the haram area and then around the haram of the hotels the big hotel complex the clock tower as you come out of the forecourt the the, the courtyard area. As soon as the courtyard area finishes, basically the clock tower hotel begins. When the time for the prayer happens, it's a common practice amongst people in the clock tower complex that they pray in the tower or they come down to the ground floor and they just start making their rows in the ground floor without having to leave the tower. Sometimes maybe they leave the tower just outside outside at the front entrance of the tower, they don't go down to carry on the rows. The scholars, they say, basically, if the haram is completely full, and the courtyard is completely full, and the rows are carrying on and carrying on and carrying on, such that they are fully joined all the way to the front door of the clock tower. And that can occur easily. With that amount of people in certain times, that's very simple. The distance is small from the clock tower entrance to the courtyard. So if the rows are so full that they are carrying on, carrying on, carrying on, all the way up to the door of the clock tower, and then inside carrying on, carrying on, that's completely legitimate then, and you get your 100,000. Because you are now in fully connected rows all the way to where the Imam is. Imam, then the rows, 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 all the way outside to the door of the clock tower. In Hajj time, forget the clock tower. They go beyond the clock tower, out onto the streets. Out onto the streets in Hajj time. Beyond the courtyard, beyond the hotel area, beyond out into the road on the streets, the rows are carrying on the same jama'ah. In that case, no problem. Then you're connected even if you're a mile away. And the rows are all carrying on from that jama'ah, you're in the jama'ah. But the issue is, when the rows are there, and then there's a gap. There's a gap after the courtyard to the entrance of the clock tower, and then they carry on in the clock tower with this gap in between. So their bunch there isn't connected to the rows that are connected to the imam. That is a problem, the scholars say. You are now disconnected from the jama'ah. And if you're disconnected from the jama'ah, then there's an issue and you shouldn't be praying like that. You should go ahead, outside, and go and join the row where it finishes. Then from there, people carry on joining and joining. And if it gets to the clock tower, the last bunch will pray there. But the first bunch straight away shouldn't start making rows there. And there's a huge gap yet. It hasn't even filled up yet. So when there's a huge gap, you shouldn't pray like that. You should go and join the rows where they are. Carry on filling them up, filling them up. Eventually the latecomers, if it gets full right to the door, they can line up there, no problem. But initially you can't, initially you shouldn't. On top of that, they have an actual prayer room in the clock tower in the hotels. You shouldn't pray in those prayer rooms saying, I'm in the jama'ah behind the imam. You should go out and join the rows. You're supposed to be connected in the rows it isn't really a suitable thing to be out there miles away no connection of the roads nothing say I'm praying in your rooms even they have the radio you can hear the jama'ah going on hear the iqamah hear the imam Allahu Akbar people in their room mashaAllah Allahu <laughs> <laughs> Akbar <laughs> praying behind the imam don't disturb me I'm praying jama'ah behind the imam praying jama'ah behind the imam imam says oh he reads or oh, listen on the, put the radio into number 5 hit the volume high or maybe even on the TV, the live stream. You can, now, now you can say the fiqh, I can see the rose, I can see the imam, mashaAllah. This is wrong, this is wrong. Some people do that. Absolutely, happens. Many people, they do it. And this is not the way to do the prayer. You should not be praying like that. You have to go join the rose. So basically, if the rows are connected, it's okay. If they're not connected, you need to go out and join the rose. It's possible Eid al-Adha yeah. It is possible upon the opinions Of some of the scholars of fiqh That it could end up on a different day One opinion About Eid al-Adha says That the moon sightings Across the world do not count It is only the moon sighting Of Makkah that counts Because that is where you're going to be doing hajj that is where the decided day of Arafah is going to be, the decided day of Eid is going to be, the moon sighting of Makkah, not the moon sighting of anybody else. So one opinion of the Fuqaha is, when it comes to Eid al-Adha, you have to follow the moon sighting of the Hujjaj. That's one opinion. Even if you don't see it, you go sight it, nothing in your country, you follow the Hujjaj. One worldwide Eid with the Hujjaj. That's an opinion. There is another opinion though, that you can still follow the moon sighting of your area. It's an opinion of some scholars. So now, for example, way out in Indonesia or some uh, Muslim country down that side of the world, their moon sighting may be different to the moon sighting of Mecca in that area. So now, uh, Arafah was on Monday. That was the 9th of the Hijjah. Eid was 10th on Tuesday. In their moon sighting, maybe that first day they didn't see it. Nowhere. Which means now they're going to be a day behind. Their Arafah is going to be on Tuesday. And their Eid is going to be on Wednesday. According to some scholars in the books of fiqh, in their opinions, technically that is possible. And they do allow it. Some scholars, some scholars of the Sunnah, it is a, an opinion of fiqh, where they do allow it because they say at the end of the day, everything in the religion is about the moon sighting when it comes to those issues. So in their country which is miles away from the Arabian Peninsula out in Indonesia somewhere down there if they see their moon sighting on a different day they have to follow their moon sighting. That is an opinion. It is an opinion. So it could be done. Huh? Yeah, so is that true of Mecca and Medina like they have their even different Mecca and Medina I don't know about the example of Mecca and Medina. Allah knows about the example of Mecca and Medina but the example of different parts of the world is possible. Sheikh, hmm. what about uh, you know like now in if little bit rain and they do, they join the Maghrib Isha together. I think they are Jahi people. You know, they, they join the Salah. Rain, if it is rain, the mosque. They do that. I don't feel like to, they, they If it's that. raining, then we know it's permissible to combine the prayers. But how much rain? In some of the books of Fiqh, they say the the Dabit is that the criteria is that if you're walking outside from home to the mosque. Such that the ground has become muddy, such that your clothes would have water settled on them, then that is enough rain to combine. Although, that's some of the opinions in some of the books of fiqh. The ground becomes a bit muddy and water you know settles on your throat. Somebody, when they come in from the rain, you can see all the wet patch. They say, okay, now that's enough to combine. But if it was very light rain, you could walk five minutes in that light rain. You come back inside, yes you can see a little bit, but within 60 seconds it's all dry, nothing hardly there. Then in that case, they say you shouldn't combine, according to some of the the opinions of fiqh. So that is all, you know, something relative to how people go and estimate the rain, and what they perceive the rain as, how much it is, how much it isn't. That's just, you know, you've got to look at the rain and see what the level of the rain is. I think they just make an excuse, they shouldn't do that. The imam, you know, I've been to some mosques in Leeds, like Lincoln Green or other places. I don't know, I don't know any of the mosques, I'm not from Leeds, but yeah, I'm just they, saying they do that. Maybe, maybe. they take it the easy option, there's nothing wrong with that. No, maybe. If it is raining yeah, and, and the rain is sufficient to combine and they make that judgment, then you know it's not but possible five to say anything. Time, five times, you know, we should five times no join. They do join. If you travel is all right. if the rain is sufficient if there is rain you can combine today today now I don't know about Leeds but where I've been in Manchester those places there was enough rain today you can combine it's barakah barakah, but it's sunnah if it's rain you can combine you cannot do mukhalifah of the sunnah the one who is mukhalifah of the sunnah is the jahil (laughs) (laughs) anything else? Them to, well, they get the same reward if they praying like the hotel for example women stay in the hotel if they work, some, some make that point don't go to Masjid number nabawi yeah. don't go to al-Haram <laughs> so you're gonna take your wives to Umrah you're gonna take them to do Umrah after the Umrah you got seven days left in Mecca the wives when it comes to the Adhan they say I'm staying in the AC you go <laughs> men have to pray in the Masjid the women, I'm staying in the room relax with the fridge, the AC. I get my 100,000 in the hotel. What do you think? Oh, not 100,000, but I get reward, plenty, full enough reward. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because the narration is general. The best prayer for the women is in the houses. It includes Makkah and Medina. That narration, when the Prophet ﷺ said, the best prayer for the women is in their houses, when was that narration said? In what context? At al-Masjid al-Nabawi. He was telling the women, you don't have to come and pray in al-Masjid al-Nabawi, you get more reward at home. That was al-Masjid al-Nabawi. That's when the narration was being said to everybody. So, even in Mecca and Medina, if your wife says, I'm staying in the AC, you go. I'm going to relax and pray here. Absolutely, she can and she gets the reward. More than even the 100,000. Because she will get the more reward for praying at home. That doesn't mean that you tell them, stay here, I'm going to go. Because obviously if you're going to travel and you're going to go, then for them as well, for their iman and everything, they want to go to the mosque and see, you should allow them, لا تمنعوا إما الله مساجد الله. Don't stop the women going into the mosques. So you should allow them to go. But if they choose to stay in the hotel, absolutely good, no problem. We'll have to round off there. Inshallah, next week 7 p.m.